Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Having worked in the summer camp industry for the past two decades, I'm convinced that summer camp professionals have a unique view on kids and young adults. I am certain that the stories that they've earned by working with and alongside thousands of kids and staff members from literally all over the world can be useful to parents, teachers, coaches, and mentors back home. So each week, I spend some time around the digital campfire with the leaders and thinkers of the summer camp world. We share stories, we laugh, we learn together, which really, when you think about it, is what we've been doing around campfires for as long as campfires have been around. So I hope that you'll spend the next few minutes around this digital campfire with me to see how you can take some of the magic and fun of summer camp and apply it to your life back home. I am so excited to have Jeff Lichen on the program. I clearly remember listening to him at the ACA Tri-State Conference back in 2010 and thinking to myself, wow, this guy really knows his kids and he knows camp. Here's a bit of a background for you about Jeff Lichen. Jeff is an internationally recognized expert in the field of helping teens and young adults build substantial and thriving lives. Using his techniques of unconventional methodologies, he is able to help most young people who had not found the legitimate caliber of help that they needed in conventional options that are readily available. His clients regularly go on to become far more confident, successful, fulfilled adults with fulfilling careers, meaningful relationships, and true personal happiness. He is a master trainer of the Mythoself process, a master practitioner of NLP, co-creator and master trainer of the Cutting Edge Hero Path for Teens program, a published author, and a popular speaker and trainer for organizations who work with youth. He holds a master's degree in educational counseling, a pupil personal services credential from the state of California, served as an adjunct faculty member at the University of San Francisco Graduate School of Education, and has guest lectured at Stanford University. More close to my home, Jeff has served as a trainer and consultant with over 150 summer camps across North America. Though he's based in San Francisco with his wife and children, Jeff travels all over the place, having run programs on three continents and in 10 countries, and has offices in San Francisco and Marin County, New York, and London. Let's hear it from Jeff. Well, Jeff Lichen, welcome to the campfire. Very happy to be here with you. Awesome. So, you know, our, our listeners will want to know, and I gave you the great introduction, but how did you get involved in summer camp? So, so I mean, I, I got involved. It's probably called the way many people who you're going to talk to got involved in this, which is my parents made a decision to send me to summer camp. <laughs> and that was, I was, I was referred to it as it was a, it was a fateful uh, decision of theirs. Cause it, it, uh, you know, I think at the time when I was nine years old decided that it was just good for me to go have a fun place to spend a month and get away from home. You know, I don't think they were thinking let's help him go make the best friends of his life and start his, find his career path, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's how it was, was as a kid, I was growing up and, um, went to camp. And along the way I had a couple of summer camp counselors who were just, just a phenomenal influence on my life. Remarkable people who saw me really got me, were able to inspire me, get me to do things that nobody else could get me to try to do, built my confidence up, encouraged me. And 
their words and their voices sort of resonated in my head as I grew up and I would face difficult times and I would always sort of fall back on the, the inspiration that I got from these guys. And as I grew up, the only way that I could go back to summer camp was to become a summer camp counselor. Mm -hmm. So 16, 17 years old, you know, we had at that point, it was just a junior counselor program. It wasn't full on um, responsibility, but it was, you know, in that point where all of a sudden I was the one who had these young campers who were coming to me, who were down on themselves, discouraged, wanting to quit. And then I, it was my turn mm -hmm. to say the words, to do things with them that would pick their spirits up and get them to believe in themselves. And, you know, over the years, I just began to really see the power of this third party voice mm -hmm. in a, in a child's life. And I, I always refer to it as like a third voice, like parents are the first voice. And there's a collective voice of society, which is the second voice. But then you have this third person who comes along <clears throat> who's neither your friend nor your parent, mm -hmm. but is somebody a little bit older and wiser and um, plays this role to help you figure some things out and make some decisions for yourself and learn how to handle some of life's challenges and stuff. And I began to realize it's just this incredible need that, that we have, we all have, um, but especially during adolescence to have this in their life. So it really started for me was – what would it be like if there was just more summer camp counselors everywhere in the world all the time, you know, not just at camp for a month during the summer. That yeah. was really it. And what if everybody had somebody who was 10 years older than them or a little further down the road, you know, who they could call up and say, hey, listen, I'm running in this situation and, you know, you can give me criticism or feedback and I'll take it from you, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. um, right. Um, but I think one of the other things, Cole, that, that the camp thing does that really also very much inspired my professional life was that it creates a context that brings out the best. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the world doesn't do that. A lot of the world is, you know, to, to, you know, maybe it's a little extreme to say this, but it's kind of cold and indifferent or, you know, the, the schools, the institution of schools, which is where most of us send our kids off to for 180 days a year. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not like it's not designed to bring out the best in kids. It's just really, you know, primarily designed to produce people who can produce in the economy. And it's not looking at, well, let's look at everybody's individual strengths, talents, gifts, interests, and let's cultivate those. You know, it's a system that's just much more around follow this curriculum so you can do well on these exams and go to these other institutions. Um, and it's, so it's kind of impersonal is what it is. And right. while, you know, there'll be teachers along the way, right. Who can really inspire or subject that can really inspire for the most part, that's sort of a matter of luck. Whereas summer camp is designed that every single child who shows up there, there's some opportunity for them to shine. There's somebody who will really see them and create some kind of pathway for them to discover their strengths or talents or face their fears and, you know, overcome their obstacles and grow. Um, and so that was one of the other things that really inspired me was realizing there's just a need in the world for more people to really feel seen and for more context that really brings out the best in them and makes them feel a sense of positivity and joy about life. That's a, such a fantastic way to think about it because I was sitting here thinking about, you know, my childhood and, you know, I, I like you and I'm sure like just about everybody had a ton of teachers in their life that, you know, really made a, a big difference and a bit, big impact. But yet the more I talk to people about their experience at summer camp, the, the relationships that they build with the counselors and with the staff and, and even with some of the older campers, 
is so much more powerful and enduring. And I think you're right. I think it is because, you know, the school life is, is more, you know, we should do it this way. We have to do it this way versus a camp. It's a, Hey, what do you want to do? Let's, who are you and, and how can we get, get there to you? Um, and that is drastically missing. What is it about someone who is not your parent, not your teacher, but someone who is say half a generation older uh, than you that makes the connection so much more empowering and enduring? And this, it's interesting because this is actually, you know, became the challenge as I built out my own model to do what I do professionally was how do I continue to have that, have the, the teens I work with experience me that way, even though I'm now 30 or 40 years older, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, than that. So you don't right? act, you don't act. But it, I so. think, <laughs> right. But in short to me, in short to me, the, the answer is that you view somebody who is much more contemporary, much more you know, listens to the same music, uses the same language, you know, understands how Instagram works, for example. I mean, this is 2019, so that's a relevant example. Right. And, you know, understands when you say something about this particular person texted me this or did this particular thing. So, you know, you feel like this is a person who really gets the the world as I'm experiencing it at my age at 12 years old or 10 years old or something but they're 20 years old. So they're older, they've been through it, but they're not so far down the road that they're going to look back and say, you know, when I was your age and then tell some story that's completely, you know, <laughs> out of sync with the time that they're in. Right. So, sure. um, you know, there's, there's, there's just that, that element to it. And one of the, one of the other things that I, you know, became very clear for me doing this stuff is that there's, you know, when our, when our kids are young, and by young, I say sort of the pre, up until the preteen years, mm-hmm. so up until mm-hmm. 10, 11 years old. You know, for the most part, we're the center of their world. What our opinions are and what our advice is and what we teach them about the world is the way they perceive the world to be. As they get into those preteen and then into the teenage years, they're having lots of this influence of this second voice, as I refer and they are starting to have different opinions and different sense of the world. And they'll start looking at you going, oh, dad, you just don't get it. Or mom, you just don't get it, right? But a lot of times we do get it. It's just that we become this – there's, there's an expression that a client of mine used one time uh, that, that she had gotten from her mother. So it was a, a, a grandmother passed on to a mother, passed on to the next generation. And it was great advice, wrong source. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so there's a thing that happens, right? Where as a parent, you know, we can be giving them great advice and we may be spot on with everything that we're saying, but at that particular stage in life, we're the wrong ones to be saying it right. to them. So one of the reasons that having somebody who is like this, this, you know, camp counselor in their life, um, has that kind of value is that it's not the parent saying it to them. It's somebody who, you know, is close enough in age, understands, all the idiosyncrasies of their little world at this point, but is not their parent. And I always emphasize is, is also not their friend. Cause a lot of times friends, you know, especially when they're young, will tell them what they, what they want to hear, <laughs> not necessarily yeah. what they need to hear. Right. And, you know, friends also don't necessarily have any more life experience than they do. So it's not like they can give the greatest advice, you know, around this stuff. So, you know, I always come back to that piece about great advice, wrong source. Sometimes you have to be the right source delivering the message. And as a parent, it's sort of, hard, you know, to kind of let go of that because at eight years old, you could be the one and they'd go back to school and say, well, my dad said, and so therefore that's how it is. You know, by 13 years old, you know, they're, you can tell them and they're going, 
well, you don't really understand that. Yep. <laughs> but somebody else comes along who they look up to and think is cool, says the exact same thing, and they go, yeah, see? I have very yeah. firm uh, memories of doing basically the same thing to my own parents. So that, that totally mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been in camp you know, since you were nine years old. So for uh, several decades now, a couple decades, I shouldn't say several. Well, I'm, I'm 50 years old, so I've been around it All for right. 40 so, years. Yeah, yeah, I've been around uh, for yeah. 40 years. Yeah. How much yeah. have you seen... Have the kids changed in camp, or has camp changed, or society changed? Where do you see that? I'm just try to give. I'm going to try to give uh, a, a clear answer to that um, without copping out and say both, because sure. it is true that both. You know, um, the answer is that there are certain elements that have not changed. It's just not changed at all. I mean, uh, younger, you know, kids primarily when they're thinking about summer camp. They think about activity. If you, you know, you talk to them about, tell me about camp, they're going to tell you what they did that day. Right. You know, as they get older and start to become teens, middle school years, you know, it starts to become much more about their friends and hanging out with their friends and the relationships that are happening. And this is just developmental things that have, you know, that have never, that don't change. It's just, just how it is. Right. You know, in the first stage, just brain development wise, it's about coming in contact with the world and having different muscle training experiences and bouncing off of things and bouncing back up again and, you know, the stimulation that comes through activity, um, physical activity. And then as they get to be older, it's much more about developing a different part of their brain, which is about how do I connect and relate in the world. So this is timeless. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe the games they're playing, you know, we didn't play spike ball 30 years ago, you know. Great game. <laughs> um, spike ball is very popular now, but we right. didn't play it 30. Like that stuff changes, right? But that idea of like wanting to just be physically active. So I've been running groups at a, a middle school um, just down the road from where I live here in California for 15 years. And I have this just very intimate, intricate exposure to 13 and 14 year old boys. And I can tell you unequivocally from what I experience in the school setting when I run these groups, what I see at the summer camp programs that I run, um, to what I experience in my private practice, that it is a extreme shift that's happened, particularly in boys. Hmm. Um, and it's happened in an almost quantum way, and it's happened so rapidly that it, in a way it's kind of scary. And all the statistics that we read about with boys and the declining performance in school and levels of mental illness and all this stuff, I see the physical manifestation of it, the, the attention span of a group of typical eighth grade boys at this point is, you know, I was actually saying to a school counselor yesterday that it's like they have like the attention span of an inchworm, you know, and it's like not until I, you know, suddenly shout something out or I'm dramatic or I'm, you know, uh, you know, audacious in the things that I say, and then all of a sudden they're paying attention to me and I'm, you know, in the midst of some kind of like gripping story and I'm using, you know, humor and I'm, lots of, you know, provocative thoughts in it. And then all of a sudden somebody in the room decides to, you know, whatever, unzip their backpack. And so you hear the zipping sound and everybody starts looking at the backpack and I've lost their attention. Right. And it's like, it's really, it's like shocking in a way how easily distracted and their lack of internal discipline to stay focused on something that isn't just overwhelmingly stimulating to them. And 
So obviously I said, I don't want to oversimplify because there is always exceptions to this, but in general, I have found that this generation of kids have a much harder time staying focused on things that aren't just generating a lot of dopamine all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. good feeling in their body, that stimulation that I've got from video games or screens or something. And I find that, um, it's, it's more challenging to work with them, especially in a group because of this. Now, girls that I work with at this age, like I run a, a group at the, at the school also with the girls, it's not as dramatic with them. Hmm. You know, as long as I'm talking about stuff that's interesting to them, they're all engaged and they're all wanting to just give their opinions and stuff. But the boys, I've noticed like a real dramatic shift with them. That Interesting. It's pretty much if it, if it doesn't overwhelmingly charge my system and make me feel excited, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drift. <laughs> You know, until until something does come along, yeah. I, I wondered, you know, because you work at camps quite a bit too. I know you work with with teens and, and staff at camp. Do you see the same issues at camp? Because I'm just thinking about my our own campers and and knowing that, you know, when we divorce them physically from technology at camp, you know, my children and and a bunch of their friends always say, "Boy, I actually really like being separate." And they they seem calmer, they seem more on point, they seem less distractible. Do you see the same thing when, when you get to camp and see the kids in that environment? After withdrawal. Right. Yeah, sure. It has to go through. <laughs> right. It's right. A stage. you got to have the shakes. Is it, it, it's really <laughs> interesting, isn't it, Cole? Like you literally, you know, can watch them, you know, at the end of the third week of camp where no one's talking about their games anymore. They're able to just sit and, you know, have a long conversation around the campfire at night. Whereas, you know, the first week of camp, they're picking up sticks and twiddling their thumbs and nervously moving around, right? They have to go through withdrawal. <laughs> so I, I would say, yeah, absolutely. I see that, that when there's that separation from that, you know, from that just frequency of stimulation mm-hmm. and their nervous system gets a break from it and they get to sort of reset and reconnect and re-engage with, you know, uh, with a, a more... I don't know what the right word is, you know, wholesome kind of way of life or something. Absolutely. Well, it's much more communal as well at camp. You know, you literally are connected with the people around you. You're living in in small space. You're living with, you know, more people than certainly you would share in your room back home. Um, And you're having different conversations and doing different things. So I think that that separation to create a a situation where it is just less tech, it's, it's less, it's interesting to me, it's, innervating and it's exciting, but yet it's, it's hitting you in a different way than the screen stuff is or the social media stuff yeah. is. And so the answer is yes, I absolutely observe this, but I will say this, even, even then, you know, I, I would say I still see shorter attention span, more easily bored, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it, it's like you, you think you finally have gotten them there and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a, a screen that's on it, actually, you know, they'll stop yeah. and they'll stare, you know, <laughs> at it and that stuff. And, um, it's just, it's much more dramatic in today's world, you know? Um, and I do see as, you know, just to, you know, to clarify this, you know, that when they're away from all that stuff at camp, there's a, it's almost like a calming of their nervous system. Yeah. And so their attention comes much more, you know, into, there's the space more than 12 inches away from their nose, gotcha. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. more engaged with others and that stuff, but it can be easily triggered again. That's, that's the, that's the thing, you know, and it's just an unfortunate reality. There's, there's, you know, 
pretty dramatic studies done at this point. There was a uh, book last year called The Boy Crisis, and I, I hate to be on a podcast and reference a book and then not say the name of the author. I can't think of the author's name. John Gray was one of them. I forget the other one's name. Um, where they looked at the studies from 67 different countries around the world, and they were looking at statistics around what's happening with males. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just pretty overwhelming, you know, the, the declining performance in school and lower employment rates and, you know, higher rates of mental illness, significantly higher rates of suicide attempts and stuff. There's a lot going on, you know, with this. So, um, you know, I'm referencing that simply because you're asking me, do I see things different? And I would say I see things much more different with boys than I do with girls. It's probably best way of saying this. So it's it's just amazing how the the world is is getting in that certain place, um, and and I feel like camp it can be a bastion from that. And I feel I feel like you know again just going back to kind of what we just said that oh by the way it's Warren Doctor Warren Farrell I believe is who was yeah, wrote yeah, that boy yeah. crisis which uh, I actually read as well which was it's yeah. shocking uh, to say the least um, yeah. So I guess my question for you as a person who, who grew up at camp, who worked at camp, who still works at camp, who works in your professional life with adolescents, you know, young men and women, how can we take the, the many myriad benefits of camp, you know, the increase of empathy, the increase of patience, the, you know, the ability to have teamwork, the, the leadership skills, the humility, the gratitude, all the things that come from camp. So how can we take that and bring it back to our homes and our schools and our art spaces and sports fields and, and have a similar outcome? I've thought about this for, for decades, Cole. I mean, it's long before I became a parent myself. And I have two. I have a 12-year-old and a 6-year-old, both daughters. My 12-year-old has spent two summers, um, you know, a month away at summer camp, um, you know. And last summer I picked her up and she says to me, she goes, Dad, I don't remember why I was so scared about going away to camp this summer. It's the best place ever. <laughs> you know, I, I, Cole, I literally took out my, you know, speaking of technology, took out my phone and I said, wait, wait, wait I want to video record that day <laughs> the next summer when we're packing you up and you're getting all nervous about going away again. Yep. I'm going to play this. Oh you. gosh. That, 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 that lizard brain is hard. You get, yeah, I, I right. do it without right. a doubt. But, but the thing is that even my response to her right there is an example of something I learned at summer camp. But I try to teach this to, to you know, anybody who will listen, is how to, when you're engaging with your children, do things in a way that's more positive for them, in a way that makes them feel good, makes them feel lighter. So it's, it's being playful. It's being lighter and more playful with them in a more ongoing kind of way. And does that depend on their age? Well, certainly how you do it, right, right, depends on their age, you know, how you do it. Like I sit there with my six-year-old and I read stories at night and I, I, there's a thing that I do where I take one of her stuffed animals, which is a, uh, her favorite one's a golden retriever dog that's, she named Stella and I'll hold Stella and I put my hand kind of behind Stella's head and while I'm holding the book in the other hand, I'm holding Stella's head and I make Stella's head turn back and forth like she's looking at the book and then looking at my daughter <laughs> and looking at the book and it's like, sure. You know, it's become sort of part of the whole ritual of what we do at this point, right? So, you know, I can't do that with my 12-year-old. She'll look at me and think, you know, you know, dad or whatever, right? Right, um, right. but, you know, so, yeah, it's how you do it. But the fact that you do it is really important. It's just if all your kids experience is 
mom and dad are always serious. Everyone's always, you know, stepping on each other's toes because everyone's in a rush to get out the door and homework has to get done and mom's got to get on a business call. Um, it's so, it, it's like at camp, you still have a lot of things that have to get done. The beds mm-hmm. have to get made. The laundry has to be put away. We need to get to dinner. We have to get to the activities. But a lot of the way that it's done at camp is in a much more playful way. There'll be music playing in the background. You know, we'll have playful nicknames for one another. We'll, you know, get silly with each other while we're trying to fold the laundry or something. And I'm not suggesting parents need to be silly with their kids while they're folding laundry every every time, right? But it's more about keeping that sort of lighter, more playful sort of thing present, especially when, you know, the world that we live in doesn't, isn't really that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I see a lot of kids who just love to zone out watching sitcoms on TV um, because there's laughter in it. And then, you know, all of a sudden mom, dad comes in, get off that thing. You need to get your homework done. You know, <laughs> That's a hard transition. <laughs> right. But if you can, you know, your, your kids come home from school and you're sitting at the dinner table and instead of it just being, you know, tell me about yours, you know, what's your homework, you know, that stuff that you can find ways to keep more playfulness in there, you know, having people laugh a little bit, be a little goofier, talk about, you know, more positive things that happened that day, tell a funny story about something that happened, tell something that's interesting mm-hmm. that happened, because that's what we do at camp. Right. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a, a phrase that my wife uses quite a bit. And speaking of nicknames, we call her Dr. Kelly at camp, even though she's not really a doctor. She just plays one at camp. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, she talks a lot about glitter and glue and about how, you know, usually you have parents that one parent is kind of more glitter, more of the fun stuff, whereas one parent might be more glue or, you know, a parent has to be, you know, the same, you know, but do different roles depending on the situation. Um, but at camp, we've, we've got a ton of glitter. And it's like you said, it's just it's just fun. And it's it's a laughter. And I never thought about the idea of seeing kids look at their, you know, little phones with their earbuds in watching a sitcom just to laugh. But it, it makes total sense. I mean, they've right. got enough pressure as it is, whether they're 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16. They got enough pressure during the day. They just want to laugh, just like kind of the rest of us. And I also I saw a really interesting thing a while ago, and you might have heard of this as well, that as people age, they laugh a great deal less during the day. It's something like, you know, they, uh, a 40 year old laughs, you know, eight times a day, whereas, uh, a, you know, a 10 year old will laugh, you know, 40 times a day, some, some crazy stat like that. I think if we had more laughter, it'd be, be pretty interesting. What, what, what else? It's so really interesting. So, so and not, and not surprising. Yeah, no. sadly. So one, I know we're kind of bumping up on time here, but what, what else would you say that we can do to bring home? I certainly bring the mirth, the laughter, the, the good, positive humor. Anything else you could think of? So, you know, there's, there's a, a couple other things that, um, that I think makes the camping bring out the best in, in kids. And one of them is that there's, very like at camp, you know, we kind of craft the world to create opportunities for success. You know, you can, and you know this, Cole. I mean, how many times you sit up at night with your leadership team talking about a particular group or a particular camper and thinking, what can we do to reach this child so that they have some success that's positive that they feel good about? Right. You mean like every night so at camp? One of the things, <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you the next day set it up, and so for the child, it may feel like. 
it just sort of happened where they don't know that you've crafted it behind the scenes, right? So I think one of the other things is that, that parents really would be would benefit from thinking about and applying is how can you create more opportunities for your kids to do things that they just walk away and they feel good about themselves for having done? Mm-hmm. Realizing that, you know, yes, there's some kids that get that reward out of school or just as they're doing it, they're just immersed and they feel really good doing it and continue to bring that into your home life. You know, bringing clay, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, even with my older daughter at this point, if I come home and I just put a big chunk of clay on the table, um, you know, and I leave it there, no question whatsoever, she'll sit down and start molding her hands and playing with it and building stuff out of it, be completely immersed in it, right? right? On her own, she wouldn't say, hey, dad, can we get clay? Right. But yeah, I you have present to be the it. one to remember that, right? Sure. But I, but, but I present it, right? But I do it, right? And I'll tell you one of the other things is, you know, at, at summer camp, we, we, we do our best to use everything, everything that comes up, every opportunity, you know? So out here in Northern California, it's pouring down rain. It's the middle of my kids' um, vacation towards the end of the winter break. And they're restless at this point. They're, they're actually looking forward to getting back to school. I said, come on, let's just go. And so we go and we put on our, you know, our rain boots and my hiking, I put on my hiking boots, she has these big rain boots and we grab raincoats and put on sweaters and raincoats and grab umbrellas. And for the next 30 minutes, we just go and we take a walk around the neighborhood and down this trail that goes by the local park and the wind is blowing. We're having to figure out how to hold the umbrella and the stuff. And the thing is, is that it was just spontaneous. It was just, you know, like, this is what we're going to do right now. And to me, one of the other things that makes the camp experience so consistently joyful is that the spontaneity that happens. Yeah. It's the, you know, hey, let's go do this, or come on, sit down and play this card game with me. Yep. And it's a way that you keep out of life just feeling like it's just a routine. You know, it's a way of sort of keeping their brain sharp. It's a way of, you know, reminding all of us that, you know, yeah, the bill's got to get paid, but, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you look back and you go, do you wish you had spent, you know, more time nagging about homework or more time taking hikes in the rain? Yeah. And you don't have to be 80 looking back in your life to go, gee, I wish I had done this more. I mean, we all get this. And at camp, every day is taking a walk, you know, in the rain, so to speak. And we can do that more in our lives at home, and it will feel more like camp for them. Yep. which will make them feel more positive inside themselves, more vibrant, more alive. And both the immediate and I would argue long-term lasting impact of that is, you know, the quality of their life. And it becomes the quality of their life. Well, and their quality of connection with you, you know, the, the parent, uh, the teacher, the, the mentor. I mean, if you can help create those situations where the kid feel, feels more spontaneous and more engaged, you, you'll want to be more connected. That's that's what everybody yeah. wants. Yeah. One last little, I just want to say, if I, if I can, if I have one minute here, is that a number of years ago, I had a, a summer camp ask me to write something for them. And so I, uh, that was going to go out to parents. And so I wrote an article. It was a little, you know, uh, blog piece or something for their website. This is 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was about, you know, how to make home more like summer camp. And I put a bunch of these things there. Be more spontaneous, be playful, be positive you know, find ways to set them up to succeed and all this stuff. And I showed it to a camp director um, who's somebody that I'd known for a long time and is actually a very close friend of mine. And at that point, I wasn't yet a parent. I was um, probably in my late 20s at that point. Wasn't, yeah. Probably wasn't even married yet. Sure. And 
he had two kids at this point. He reads it and he says to me, he says, you know, Jeff, obviously I agree with everything that's in here. It's just, you know, when you say things like, you know, on a Wednesday night when there's school, just spontaneously go out for ice cream, you know, that's all easier said than done. You know, you're not a parent yet and you don't get this, but this is right. And I was, you know, a little bit naive and idealistic and I probably snarky way under my breath said, yeah, 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 you know, you're, you know, whatever. Well, I am a parent and, you know, I, I, you know, I do have a mortgage and I do have stress on my end and I wholeheartedly agree with what he said. It, It is, if we continue to live our lives the way that we typically live them and we as adults continue to fall into that rut, it is hard, it, easier said than done. If, on the other hand, we find a way to take on all our adult responsibilities but consistently think to ourselves and, and remind ourselves, we only get one chance to raise our kids to live this life. And it's you know how we spend our time and what we do with it is really what's going to become what our life was, not what we spend our time thinking about, but what actually we actually did. Yeah, yeah. You know, it really isn't that hard to remember to go out for ice cream on a Wednesday night. You know, maybe after you've gone for a hike in the rain that day. So, <laughs> on that note, oh man, just... I hope this was. Hope this was helpful. So. Well, it was helpful for me. I know it will be helpful for others, but it was definitely helpful for me just to remind me what's really most important in my life back home. It's easy to do at camp when we, we spend all year planning for it, but you know, we also need to spend some time planning for those type of experiences at home as parents so we can, can do it and connect. Yeah. Well, speaking of connection, you know, Jeff, how can people connect better with you? So, you know, listen, I, I have, um, you know, a, a practice doing mentoring work with adolescents, mostly high school and college students. I work with kids all over the country and parents will hire me. I build a relationship. I'm available to them. I work with parents also. And my niche, Cole, really is these kids who are a little bit more intense, a little bit more thoughtful, sensitive, deeper seeking kind of kids. And if you're a parent of a child like this, you really get this. Mm-hmm what it's like to be that child. And I work with them and I really help them to, to learn how to be who they are in this world. And so easiest way to reach me is actually to go visit my website, which is evolutionmentoring.com, evolutionmentoring.com. Um, I would assume you can put that up on the I will. Um, Everything know, will go on the, on the page website notes. with that. Yep. And yeah, and you go and you can read about my work and on there's a link about how to schedule time to connect with me. Um, and I'm, I, you know, anybody who thinks, gee, Jeff, I think you're talking about my son or my daughter and I'm watching them struggle, you know, because of all these traits they have that are so wonderful, but also make it difficult to be an adolescent. And, you know, you want me to help them learn how to keep those traits, but not struggle so much. Go ahead and you know reach out to me because I'm happy to to connect with you. And if it's the right match, you know it could be a, a pretty magical relationship to have. So, evolutionmentoring.com is my website. So. Perfect. Well, we'll definitely point people that direction. And I also would tell people, as I, I did in the introduction, you know, your book uh, that you recently put out. I guess it was about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Was was absolutely fantastic for us as our children started to become adolescents. Just great ways of thinking about how to engage with them and and be you know good parents and good support people for them. So excellent. Yeah, adolescence is adolescence is not a disease. It's not. It's the name of the book. It's available <laughs> available on Amazon. And my my main point in the book is that there is no one right way to raise a child. You you as a parent have to become the expert in your child. And you can draw on anything and everything that's out there, and it's wise to do that. But ultimately, in the end, you have to be the one who knows and makes the decisions about what's the best opportunities to give them. So, um, you know, thank you for um, 
and reminding me to endorse that. Uh, <laughs> it's out there on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So well, yeah, it's, sure it's, it's on my so. bookshelf right behind my desk. So I look at it every day. Awesome. So, well, great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me at the campfire. I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope you just have a, a great next couple of weeks. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye. Well, everybody, that's it for this week's podcast. As always, I have learned a lot from Jeff, and I hope that you did too. I know it's been raining so much around our house lately that we'll have plenty of chances to go puddle hopping uh, one afternoon soon. The idea of creating some spontaneity for our kids and for ourselves is something that I need to do more often. I need just to get it on the calendar, plan it, and then go do it. But one thing to remember when we go through that process of creating spontaneity and, and actually doing it, we have to be all in. We have to put our phones away. We have to put away our thoughts about dinner that night or homework or yard work or whatever else is, is weighing on us. Instead, we just need to be present and enjoy the spontaneity together. So thanks for joining us around the campfire. I've had a lot of fun, and again, I hope you did too. If you enjoyed the conversation, I invite you to subscribe on iTunes. If you really liked it, please leave a review and then maybe invite your friends. Our campfire is open to one and all. If you want to follow up on any of the books or links or ideas from this conversation, everything will be in the show notes. And finally, if you'd like to join in on the conversation yourself, please visit us at our website, www.campfireconversation.com or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash campfireconversation. Thanks again for joining us around the campfire. Hope to see you here next week.